Welcome to the Choose Life Radio Network. Your host is Jill Taylor. Every week we bring you a candid conversation with someone who's making a difference for the cause of life. And now here's Jill to introduce today's guest on Choose Life Radio. Do you know someone who has ended life through suicide? I do. And I need advice from Stephanie Gray Connors, how to deal with it. How about you? Welcome to Choose Life Radio. I'm Jill Taylor, and our guest today is Stephanie Gray Connors. She has a powerful knowledge concerning abortion and suicide. So we welcome you, Stephanie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Jill. Stephanie, you've written what I would call a help book about suicide, providing ways we can rescue someone we love from taking their life. I know you're aware of the tremendous loss for those remaining, asking, could I have done something? I should have been there to stop him. Why didn't she tell me she was that depressed? So talk with our listener and me, would you, about the 10 principles you have created for thinking about assisted suicide. And then, my dear listener, you're going to be equipped by one of the best pro-life apologists in the entire world. Well, thank you for that, Jill. And yes, you know, in my recent book, Start With What, the subtitle is 10 Principles for Thinking About Assisted Suicide, because I observed a growing acceptance for ending one's life. Now, I would say that in society, there isn't so much a growing acceptance for ending one's life through suicide, but there is a growing acceptance to ending one's life through assisted suicide or euthanasia. And the point that I wanted to make in my book is that whether we throw the word assisted in front of suicide or not, either way, it's a tragedy and it's something that ought to be rejected rather than embraced. And so I wanted to put together a resource to help people find meaning in their lives and help others find meaning in their lives as well. You know, one of the key principles is really the philosophy behind why I even chose the title, Start With What? And some people will say, well, what do you mean? What does it mean to start with what? And I said, well, as I dove into the topic of assisted suicide and suicide, one of the things I came across was that really what can tempt someone to end their life in a moment of despair is when they experience overwhelming suffering. And so as I really dove into the topic of suffering, what I realized is that there's a natural human inclination when we suffer to ask the question, why? Why me? You know, why did I get in a car accident and become quadriplegic? Why did I get cancer? Why did my loved one die? And although it's a natural question for someone to ask, the problem with that question is it doesn't really lead us to a very satisfying answer. Uh, the first point is that the answer to why did this happen to one person and not to someone else is pretty much we live in an imperfect world, there's sin in the world, tragedy happens, and some people face tragedy more than others, and that doesn't really take us much further. The other thing the question why does is it focuses us on the past, you know, why did something occur? And the problem there is we can't control the past. It is over. It is done with. So what I realized is we need to help empower people in moments of despair and in moments of suffering. And the way we empower them is we help shift their direction from focusing on the question why to focusing on the question what. In other words, to ask what amazing, wonderful, incredible thing can I bring out of this terrible, horrible awful situation. And the power of that question, what, is that it orients us to the future as to what is next 
And that's what we do have control over. Unlike the past, which is over with, we can make decisions in our present moment that make for a better future. And the other reason why the question, what can I do in this in response to this tough situation is powerful is that it's empowering and it actually acknowledges the situation is tough, but it shows us something good can come from it. And I'll just briefly give you one example that comes to mind from an example that I came across. Uh, It was a teenager in Texas who was in a car accident, became quadriplegic. And some people think if I, if that happened to me, I would want to die. And let me tell you how this quadriplegic would spend her days. Here she is paralyzed from the neck down, can no longer move the limbs she once did. And she watches the news and she reads the news and she listens to the news. And whenever she comes across a story of someone going through a difficult time, she calls for an assistant to come to her to put a stick in her mouth. And she uses the stick to pound out letters on a keyboard in order to compose notes of encouragement to whoever she read about in the news. Maybe it was someone who's a victim of a natural disaster or their home burned down or some some tragedy happened. And that young woman lived a life of great meaning and great purpose and great fulfillment. It's not that her life lacks suffering. By virtue of being a quadriplegic and not being independent like she once was, of course she's suffering, but she's not despairing. She's not tempted to suicide, assisted or otherwise, because she has found meaning in her situation. She has found her what? Her ability to connect with others and inspire others is directly related to her own experience of hardship, and she's turned a negative thing into an opportunity for something profoundly positive and meaningful. Wow. You know, that I've seen that in people who have grown old together. They've been married for years upon years, and one dies, and the other one sometimes chooses to stop living, in essence. But then I've also seen people who literally jump into something new that they know would have blessed their wife if she were still with them, and they're helping with ministries. So that's a great point you're making. If you can get and help that person to focus on what can you do with this? What can you do to help others? Right. You know, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. The key is really finding perspective. And perspective isn't changing necessarily what something looks like. It changes the angle we're looking at it from or the perspective we see it as. So it's that classic line of, is the glass half full or is it half empty? Well, there still is only some amount of liquid in the glass, but instead of looking at it from the negative perspective, oh, we only have, um, or half of it's gone, rather, we look at it from the positive perspective and say, hey, we still have, have half a glass of liquid. What, what comes to mind also, especially when you mention the, the great loss of one's spouse after a lifetime of, of a loving relationship and the deep grief that that can cause is I've been very personally inspired by the writings of Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, as well as a psychiatrist who wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in his book, he writes about one of his patients coming to him who was a very depressed elderly gentleman. And the man said to Dr. Frankel, doctor, you have to help me. I'm so depressed since my wife has died and everyone I go to for help, no one can help me. I don't want to live. My life is miserable. Please help me. And so Dr. Frankel looked at this man who was suffering emotionally And he said, sir, let me ask you a question. What would have happened if you had died first and your wife were still alive? How would she have felt? What would she have experienced? 
And the old man looked at Dr. Frankel and said, oh, sir, she would have been miserable. She would have been so sad. She would have, every morning she got up, she'd have felt so alone. It would have been terrible. And then Dr. Frankel said, so your wife would have suffered profoundly if you had died first. And he said, yes. And he said, well, by her dying first and you being the one to experience the anguish, to experience the loneliness, to experience the loss, you are sparing the woman you loved a type of suffering you never would have wanted her to know. And the man in that moment was transformed and he got up and he said, thank you, doctor. And, and it just gave him a new perspective on the life he was living. And then as you pointed out, once we have that new perspective, it's like, well, what can I do with it? And then there are people, you know, widows and widowers who get involved in different ministries and, and their children's lives and their grandchildren's lives in a way that perhaps they hadn't before. That's a great example. I'm not sure that that's what I would have arrived at, but I would have realized, God, you've got more for me to do, and that's why you have allowed me to stay in this world, and so i got to get going. I've got to do something with the time that I have. Any other thoughts on suicide that you think really our listener can grab onto and actually put that away for the day that they really need it? Sure. You know, as, as you pointed out, I, I do have 10 principles, but the second one, which isn't the second in the book, but one of the 10 that comes to mind that I think is really key, especially in our Western world, is my eighth principle, which is some of the best things in life come when we release control. And we are living in a world where we want to be fully in control. And I say this as someone who has struggled with an inordinate desire for control. <laughs> I've often been described as control free. I'm laughing because when my husband hears this interview, <laughs> he's going to say, oh, I wish I were there to amen, amen. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Stephanie. Hit me, hit me hard. <laughs> <laughs> Men or women can struggle with this. However, often women are the ones that struggle with control. And it's not that all control is bad. But there can be an unhealthy obsession with wanting things to go a particular way. And when that obsession exists and when it, it, by virtue of being an obsession, is unhealthy, what it actually shows is we expect what we think is best. But are we right about that? Can we actually prove that our thoughts and ideas are the best? And we actually can prove they're not always the best by virtue <laughs> of the fact that all of us are imperfect. And none of us can see into the future. And so there is this realization that when it comes to especially end-of-life issues, what I've discovered in my research is people are inclined to support, let's say, assisted suicide or euthanasia because they want to control the circumstances of how they die and when they die and so forth. And I use in my book, I compare and contrast two examples. One was a woman from the Western United States, Brittany Maynard, and I compare her with a young boy from Maryland by the name of Maddie Stepanek. Brittany Maynard's case is very sad, very tragic, and not something that we should follow. In her case, she tragically, as a young married woman, had a very rare brain cancer diagnosis. She lived in California, and she wanted assisted suicide and couldn't get it. So she and her husband moved to Oregon, where she ultimately chose assisted suicide because she was afraid of the physical suffering that would ultimately come to her, she expected and was told, as her brain cancer proceeded. And when she chose the day that she would die, she posted on social media how this was the day that she chose. It was really all about controlling the circumstances of her death. 
And in contrast to her, I think of a young boy, as I mentioned, by the name of Maddie Stepanek, who was born with a very rare form uh, and severe form. Uh, I believe it was muscular dystrophy. It was very debilitating. His three previous siblings had died from it. When he was diagnosed with it, the doctor said he won't live beyond birth. And miraculously, he lived till he was almost 14 years old. And when he was 11 years old, he was essentially by all medical observation, on his deathbed. You know, he was in the hospital. He was bleeding out. He was in terrible pain. He was suffering. And the doctors basically told him and his mother, you know, this, this is going to be the end. And Maddie began to pray. And he prayed for a miracle because he had a strong sense that he had a mission in this world that was yet to be completed. And he even said, I want to go home. And the doctor's like, no, no, no. If you go home, the, the parts that are bleeding will scab up and then they'll burst and your suffering will be horrific. You know, we want to be able to care for you in the hospital. And some people would say, what is the point of continuing even a few days, let alone weeks or months in that situation? Some people would say, look, if you're clearly at the end of your life, you're suffering, you're in anguish, why not take charge? Why not take control and just end it in the way you want? But instead of trying to end his life when it seemed like it was on the cusp of ending anyways, Maddie, through his prayer, surrendered to God's will. And wouldn't you believe the bleeding stopped, the scabbing didn't burst open, and so began the final three years of his life, shocking all doctors. And in those three years, Maddie, as a young boy, had composed poetry that then got put into books and sold as New York Times bestsellers. Oh um, he got on the Oprah Winfrey show multiple times. And through that platform of Oprah was able to share a message he felt really passionate about, particularly God's call for all of us to spread peace and, and to not be human beings who were in hostility and tension with one another. He was on Larry King Live. He even befriended former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, who ended up giving the eulogy at Maddie's funeral when he did die three years later. But my point is, some people would say when he had been 11 years old on what was perceived to be the cusp of his death, why keep suffering just end it all? Yeah. Uh, that was kind of Brittany Maynard's attitude. Why let my brain tumor get worse? Right. Um, let me just end it. But we don't know how much longer her life would have lived. We don't know what would have come from it. But we do know that when someone like Maddie surrendered control, ungrasped his grasping hands, and just put his fingers open in a receptive position, that incredible things unfolded in his life that were not only a blessing to him, but were a blessing to people literally around the world. Working with him as well. Think of the doctors. Stephanie, we're going to have to take a quick break, but I know our listener is going to stay right where they are because it's, it's just a fascinating conversation with you. We'll be right back on Choose Life Radio. Thanks for joining us today for the conversation here on Choose Life Radio. We are a listener-supported ministry. Your tax-deductible gift today helps educate hearts and minds on God's wondrous provision of life. If you'd like to send a generous gift and help us continue broadcasting on this station, you can visit our website, chooseliferadio.com. Click on the Donate button and follow the directions. You can give online, or if you're more comfortable, simply mail us a check. Our P.O. box is listed on the website. Choose Life Radio focuses on the sanctity of human life from conception. And your kind and generous gift today, well, it makes this broadcast a reality. When you make your gift, 
please indicate the call letters of this station. And while you're visiting chooseliferadio.com, we'd love to hear from you in other ways. You can email Jill directly or connect through social media. And remember, all of our past broadcasts are available to you as podcasts in our archive section. So meet up with us today at chooseliferadio.com. Welcome back to Choose Life Radio. Jill Taylor here, your host. We are in the midst of a very incredible conversation with Stephanie Gray Connors. And if you've missed the first half, first of all, don't do that again. (laughs) Get here with us on time. But if you have missed the first half, you can go to our website, chooseliferadio.com, and listen to this incredible interview with Stephanie. Stephanie, we're going to pick up at the fast pace that we were having already, and that's now to talk about a different topic, not so much the suicide issue as the issue of abortion. And you've written a book on that too called Love Unleashes Life, Abortion, and the Art of Communicating Truth. So I am ready to let you go with that topic, please. Sure. Well, you know, most of my career speaking and educating on the pro-life issue has actually been at the beginning of life related to abortion. It's only been recently that I expanded to the the other end of life. And when it comes to abortion, as I've spoken with many people who support it, debated many even abortion doctors and philosophy professors, I've come to see over the years that while we absolutely need to have a robust intellectual argument to back up our claims for why abortion ought to be rejected, you know, appealing to science and philosophy and human rights arguments. What I came to see is that a lot of times the emotions and personal life experiences can influence how someone receives our arguments and our logic and our reasoning. And so I wrote Love Unleashes Life to really present to people the need to balance both the head as well as the heart when interacting with people. And to win an argument but also win the person we're arguing with, which means we need to go sensitively. We need to be willing to listen to their story and where they're coming from and ask them why they've come to the conclusion they have. And if they know anyone who's gone through the difficult experience that they're focused on, and usually that will then elicit stories from people, like where they'll say, my mom had an abortion, or I drove a friend to a clinic, or they might even admit they themselves had an abortion. And then through that admission is a great ministering opportunity to really convey to them that we value them as much as we value the life of the child in the womb. And so the book is really about equipping people how to have those conversations and how to appeal to science and philosophy, but also appeal to the heart of the person they're speaking with. A second question, how come adoption is so difficult for a woman who's searching for an abortion? That is a great question, Jill. And, you know, in my observation, I find adoption the most difficult option for people to consider because it inevitably involves a time of bonding and connection with the child that will be broken. Whereas abortion says, I don't even want you. I've not bonded yet to you. I don't feel you kick. I'm going to get rid of you before any of the bonding can happen, before I can experience your pick, before I go through labor and hold you and look at you and want you. I'm going to get rid of you before any of that. And it's very much a reflection of our quick fix culture where we want immediate results and we don't think beyond kind of that present moment. And adoption says at some point in these nine months, I'm going to fall in love with you. 
and I'm going to go through labor. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to love you. And then I'm going to place you in the arms of someone else to raise instead of me. And in the short term, that's hard. Whereas in the short term, the abortion answer gives an immediate quick fix and sense of relief. But in the long term, the choice of abortion brings about great pain and suffering and anguish. Whereas in the long term with adoption, people experience great satisfaction knowing that they've given their child a chance, knowing that, for example, they've stayed in touch with their child, which is much more common today than, you know, my parents' generation when adoption occurred. Now you have open adoption. The long-term effects of choosing adoption is very much fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction. In the short term, it's really hard to place the child you've now bonded with into the arms of of someone else. And so I think because people don't like short-term pain, they pick the option that seems like short-term gain, which is the immediate relief of no longer being pregnant, which is what abortion does. Oh, Stephanie, you have hit something that every pregnancy center needs to hear. Because when they get to that point, that the client says that, I've heard it so many times. If I bond, I won't be able to do it. Well, hello. That's why God has us bond with that child inside of us. Before we get to hold them and hug them, we already love them. So I think centers really need to address that and say, this is going to be the punishment. You're going to fall in love with that child. (laughs) And consequently, you're going to say, I don't know if I can go through with the adoption. Now, that's going to break the heart of the family that's been preparing and wants to have that child and raise that child. But the reality is the child is alive. And you still have the opportunity to place that child in that home if you say, I'm overwhelmed, I really can't afford to do this and emotionally alone, and I am going to go through with the adoption. Well, and I think we want to help people see that whatever choices we make, there are consequences and they're always trade-offs. But we want to help people see the ultimate trade-off and the long-term consequences. So when people say, well, you know, if I place a child for adoption, you know, I'll never forget what I've done. I'll always wonder what happened to that child. So then we can ask the question, okay, if you have an abortion, do you think you'll forget that you did that? If you have an abortion, do you think you'll never wonder what if I had kept the child? What if I had at least carried through to term? And we want to help people see having an abortion doesn't take away those types of questions we're still going to wonder, we're still going to have anguish, we're still going to have regret, but it's a very different type of wondering, a very different type of anguish, a very different type of regret, because it's wonder, anguish, and regret that are tied to ending a life, which goes against our human nature, particularly our nature as as women, uh, who, you know, when we become mothers, by, by virtue of that, have that protective, nurturing instinct for our offspring. So when we violate that nature, it inevitably is going to bring about consequences that we want to help people see won't be avoided. And I think often abortion is chosen because they think things they fear won't come to be if they just have this quick fix. And so it's really about helping people see down the road to something they can't yet imagine. Well, you have made minutes fly, lady. I'm so grateful for you being with (laughs) us today. And there's a place on her website that there are people on this site talking about Stephanie Connor's book. And there are people that we have interviewed. We've got 
Scott Klusendorf, for instance, is on there. And we will have soon Lila Rose. And so I want you to know you are talking and listening to one of the most prolific, how do I want to say it, interpreter for life. And I really appreciate you being with us. Stephanie, give us your contact information for those who want to get back and respond to you. Sure, yes. Yeah. So my website's the best way. So loveunleasheslife.com. And then on the contact page, there's the email that they can uh, reach out to us. Sounds great. Again, I stress Choose Life Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. So if you're happy with our interviews and you want to be a part of supporting Choose Life Radio, please go to our website, chooseliferadio.com. Make whatever donation you're able to make. And while supplies last, I want to send you a copy of Stephanie's book, Love Unleashes Life, Abortion and the Art of Communicating Truth. Do you know why I want you to have your own copy? Because I want you to have the tools necessary to help save the life of an unborn baby. Perhaps your own grandchild. Perhaps you, my listener, who for the first time is hearing a loving and compassionate interview that is changing your mind about having an abortion. Please consider going to our website, chooseliferadio.com, and make a gift, or you can also send a gift to Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio, 44735. Either way, we would love to have your participation. So as we close our time together for today, I want to thank you for being my friend, listening, my radio companion, my brother, sister in Christ. And I invite you back to Choose Life Radio next week. I'm Jill Taylor wishing you a wonderful week. The preceding program was sponsored by the Choose Life Radio Network of Canton, Ohio.